set it all on. Yeah. What it is is what it is. Hit tonight. Hit just a few seconds if you can wait because I can't. What it is. What it is. What up, what up, fight fans? Welcome back to episode 230 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast here on the Boxing Rant. I'm Kenny Keith, and I'm joined, as always, by Vince Cummings. What up, Vin? What's going on, brother? Uh, we finally got some good fights, or at least uh, Friday night brought some some good fights, and uh, we got another big one coming this Saturday. But, of course, everybody had to sleep through one more 2019 snoozer to get there <laughs> last night. <laughs> Oh, I cannot. I'm actually like really looking forward to talking about Robert Easter versus Rancis Bartholomew. I, I I really am. Believe it or not, it's going to be way, it's going to be way more exciting than the fight was. I promise. <laughs> You're carrying the torch on that conversation because I didn't watch it, brother. <laughs> oh, I'm ready for it. <laughs> I'm ready. Um, yeah, we got the uh, the post fight from um, you know a, a really good DAZN card um, from Friday night at the Forum in Inglewood, California. Um, the WBSS finally back in action. And of course, the fight preview of the main event, Cinco de Mayo weekend on DAZN, Canelo Alvarez versus Danny Jacobs for all of Gennady Golovkin's belts. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's oh, man. Well, we welcome all of you to episode 230 of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and Spotify. That's right. The show is available on Spotify. Follow us there and drop by the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. All right, then episode 230 from the forum in Inglewood. It was Sarissa Ket Sor Rungvasai versus Juan Francisco Estrada for the WBC super flyweight championship of the world. Um, then, you know what? The fight did not disappoint. Um, Juan Francisco Estrada must have listened to the podcast last week because he put his foot on the gas from the opening bell and did exactly what he needed to do to establish who was the better fighter. People were questioning us, um, you know, after our preview show about our commentary on how we both felt that Estrada was the better fighter in the first fight, but that he didn't get started until later. Um, and Juan Francisco Estrada proved us correct um, in the way that he just came out fucking balls to the wall um, and laid it on. Uh, the tie fighter. Yeah, look, that was uh, that was a, a fucking virtuoso performance from Estrada, man. I mean, that guy, I, that was an absolute clinic in the first nine rounds of that fight. Now, you know, I hear everybody's already, you know, immediately after the fight and during the fight saying, you know, why the hell is Rung Vasai fighting Orthodox? Well, I don't know what their game plan was. Maybe their game plan was the, uh, let's call it the Rocky Two game plan where where we come out orthodox and we switch later on in the fight to southpaw to finish our guy off and i think their problem was is they waited too damn long i don't know why they waited till the ninth tenth round to come out of the orthodox stance and start going at estrada but that's their own damn fault you know i that's the game plan they decided to use uh, and that ain't estrada's fault you know he i'm gonna tell you what man the footwork and the turning, if you want to beat a guy like Rungvasai in a fight, you have got to turn him. That guy works in straight lines. He's, he'll come right at you, right down the middle. You got to keep turning him. And Estrada was brilliant, brilliant in turning 
Rungvisai all fight long until the last three rounds where in uh, in Mexican-style fashion, Estrada said, yeah, fuck it. I'll stand and trade with you. I don't give a shit. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what. You know, I, I, I said Estrada tickled the top five pound for pound coming into this fight for me. I've always thought Estrada possessed the most underrated skill set in the sport of boxing over the last three, four years. And partially, you know, because he fought in Mexico on, you know, nondescript cards against nondescript opponents and didn't really get the proper promotion, which a lot of these smaller fighters do not get. I mean, let's be honest, people. The first 115, 118, 112-pound fighter that we saw come to the limelight was Chocolatito. Well, now we're seeing the, the, the second line in, in Rungvisai and Estrada. And I'm going to tell you what right now. If you do not rate Juan Francisco Estrada anywhere in your top 10 pound for pound, then delete that shit because you're an idiot. Yeah, he's he's been deserving for a long time. It's, you know, it's kind of like you're seeing two sides of this, right, in the in the aftermath. And, you know, it's the it's the paid paid mouthpieces from other entities that just want to shit on this. The one thing is, is that, you know, you're hearing people say, oh, you know, we don't need to see a trilogy because, you know, it's 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 very obvious that that Rungvisai has just been pushed over a cliff. Like, he's done now, right? Sure, like, Lou, Lou DiBella, sure. Yeah, well, I wouldn't get to mention any names, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, so to me, that was the first, you know, sort of like uh, like bullshit cop-out thing. And the other one is, is, I'd rather watch women's boxing than watch these little guys fight. There's never any knockouts. And I'm like, what is going on here, man? Like, this is like the most bizarre thinking I, I I've ever heard, you know, it's like, listening. who's that dipshit BJ Flores who thought that like, you know, fighters that are under 122 pounds are like, like worthless to watch, right? Like anything below super bantamweight. Nah, 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 nah. You know, that's like garbage. It's inferior boxing. These guys, they throw a million punches and nobody has any power, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, there, you know, and, and and actually, you heard Sergio Mora's dumbass, and he is the worst on the microphone, man. You can talk about a guy who just steps on his dick repeatedly on the microphone. I mean, he absolutely horrible, right? Talking about how you know these guys, you know, there's just not much. Uh, you know, people don't like the sp uh, these lower weight classes because there's no knockouts. Meanwhile, the sentence before that, he said, "Oh, Rungvisai has one of the highest knockout rates in all of boxing." I'm like. Okay, hold on a second. He must have like looked over and read somebody else's uh, paper and took a note off of that because he only had one thing written on his notepad. You know what I'm saying? The bottom line is this. There's one reason and one reason only that these lower weight classes for the people that have only been watching boxing for the last four, five, six years are just now hearing of all these guys is because this these divisions, much like the cruiserweight division, are international divisions these the lower weight classes the great fighters from all over the world whether you were chocolatito from central america whether you're juan Fris, uh, Fr uh francisco estrada from mexico these guys go over to japan where the lower weight classes are flooded with talent so they go where the fights are at that's the reason why you don't know shit about these lower weight classes that's the only reason why. That Ken, they're the, they're the same people that say uh, Triple G is a hype machine because they watched them fight from the age of thirty three on. It's like, dude, <laughs> you you guys completely missed the prime of this guy's career, and it, and it's no fault of your own. But don't be ignorant. You just weren't dialed into when this guy 
was an absolute fucking stud. So don't, you know, it, it just, it, it's the same group of idiots. It's, it's, they can't appre- like if you can't appreciate what Estrada was able to do in that fight, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, Estrada to me after that performance became the best fighter pound for pound in Mexico. He took a step above Canelo. I would have had him right in line with each other, right? That performance was unfucking real. The, the level of boxing, the level of skill is out of this world. If you don't appreciate that as a fight fan, because you, because one of your reasons is, well, the fight's on an app, so it doesn't matter. Okay, you're immediately eliminated. You are an absolute retard. You're not a boxing fan. You're a fan of, I want to... I want it where I want it. And if it's not there, you know, the same people that are complaining about it being on an app want it back on HBO. And they were complaining about HBO when it was on HBO. So what, what do you retards want? Where would you like it? You know, it boxing is going to be where it is. Get fucking used to it. If you're a boxing fan, you'll get there to watch the fight. And if you don't appreciate what those guys do, the, these little guys, these meaningless fighters that you call them, you're not a boxing fan, man. You're not a boxing fan. The only reason you're a boxing fan is to talk about who makes the most money, who has the most pay-per-view buys, who's the next Floyd Mayweather of the sport, who's the A-side. All the obnoxious conversations that come along with the sport now. Get out of here with that nonsense. Just appreciate what is being laid in front of you. And and, and a virtuoso performance from Juan Francisco Estrada – the, the keystone performance of his career, to be quite honest, that's one of the best for those first nine rounds. That may be the best I've ever seen him look. The guy is fucking great. Get over it. Accept it. If you don't, you're not a real boxing fan, in my opinion. What were um, your scores for this thing, man? Like, what was your scorecard look like? I, I didn't keep score round for round per se, but I. Well, what did it feel like to you? It felt like a 9-3 maybe an eight, four fight, you know, I, it, it, to me, I it's just scoring it in my head as it was going. I know I had it at least seven, one after eight rounds. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and by no means did uh rung sweep down the stretch. So I would say Estrada won eight or nine rounds in that fight. Easy. And, and won it clear. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, I had it nine to three and I had a strata win in the last round, um, in the 12th. So yeah, I look, I thought the scorecards were a little close, but that's fine. I mean, the right guy won and you know, you and I have been to enough fights live that fights do look different live than they do on TV. It's a different perspective. It's a different angle. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, So I can totally see how some people that were sitting ringside, um, saw this as being more, you know, uh, a little bit tighter, um, but the the one thing you could not deny watching this thing on TV, man, is just how how soupy, how, you know, how silky smooth Juan Francisco Estrada's punches are, man. You know what I mean? His 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 arms. He's just got like an, enough arm length at that size, like to to get that advantage over his opponents. And you know, we talked about his accuracy. I, I was having trouble with the CompuBox numbers because I didn't think uh, Rungvisai was landing that close of a percentage to what Estrada was landing. That's not the way it looked to me anyways. Now, there were some hard shots that were thrown in between um, a lot of those, you know, two, three, four punch com- uh, combinations that Estrada was um, throwing out there. But I tell you what, man, uh, Rungbasai, uh, boxing orthodox, 
in this in this fight just opened his body up. The one advantage that he had in keeping his body away, you know what I mean, would have been that front foot, um, keeping that front foot, you know, um, at the at the advantage in front of Estrada's as a southpaw. That's the way to keep the leverage, and that's the way to keep rolling downhill. But as soon as he turned orthodox, it was like, why are you squ- like, why are you squaring up with Estrada? Right. Dude, and he was just digging him to the body. I, I couldn't help but <laughs> thinking that, you know, I'm a fucking Rocky maniac, but I couldn't help thinking, like, they're com- uh, uh, that uh, Rungvisai is coming back to the corner after these rounds, and the trainer's saying, I don't know what he's saying, but he's saying, I'm <laughs> in my own head, I'm thinking he's saying, all right, we, we got him. We, we got him where we want him. You know, it's time to switch. Switch to Southpaw. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky, and of course, and Rocky too. In the last round, he goes, "No, no tricks. I ain't switching, Mick. No tricks." Mick's like, "You got him. You got to switch now. Do it. No tricks." <laughs> I mean, I to me, I I think their game plan was to let Estrada get comfortable with him fighting in the orthodox style and then turn it on him. Why they waited, I I, I don't know. Maybe they thought they they did more damage than they thought they did, but they they didn't soften Estrada up enough to just go at it those last three rounds and think they're going to get a stoppage poor game plan but that's uh that that does not take anything away from what Estrada did in the ring no and it doesn't take anything away from Rungvisai's effort either um it's just that you know he was like you said he wasn't able to soften Estrada up Estrada did a really good job um protecting his body you know yep. and, and 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 kind of at the expense of getting hit in the head a little bit but it forced Rungvisai to you know work upstairs more than downstairs and that was a huge advantage for Estrada down the stretch. I mean, you could tell once Rungvisai put his foot on the gas there, uh, you know, in rounds 10, 11, and 12, that, um, you know, Estrada, I wouldn't say that his jaw was, you know, dragging, you know, but but it was starting to take a little toll on him. He, he was like, okay, you know, this is this is physical. I'm going to stand here and engage. The good thing was is when he went back to the corner, though, is that he never really looked worse for wear. It was just, you could tell, there's still on Rungvisai's punches, there's still enough thudding natural power on those punches um, to make somebody question themselves for a minute. But uh, Estrada, you know, stood his ground, stood strong, um, and, uh, you know, from pillar to post, um, won this thing outright. And, you know, Juan Francisco Estrada is one of the best fighters in the world. I do agree. I, I You know, pound for pound list, you know, whatever. Um, but I think the very last pound for pound list that we actually did I don't know, it was like 2015, uh, 2016-ish um, was the last one that we ever did. And Juan Francisco Estrada was ranked ninth back then. So he's always been somebody that, you know, we felt really highly of. But, you know, he got the platform once again against Rungvisai to go out there and and showcase why he's one of the best fighters in the world. And I think that, you know, I want to see him more and more and more. I want to see him unify. Let's just, you know, keep on running this thing, man. It's the, um, you know, it was Chocolatito before him, and now it's time for, uh, um, you know, El Gallito to carry the uh, La Bandera. You know what I'm saying? Like, bring it forward. Let's do it. Yeah, look, I, I say it, mute those people that do not want to see a third fight here because I think what Rungvisai did down the stretch warrants there being a third fight and completely discredits you saying that he's a shot fighter. Shot fighters. Do not turn it on in the 10th, 11th, and 12th round. So if you're making comments like that, I, 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 you're you're stupid. I mean, come on. The, a shot fighter gets knocked out in the 10th, 11th, or 12th round. He does not turn it up and, and get himself back into the fight. Yeah, I, I would say let Estrada uh, unify, and let's run this bitch back either early next year, mid-next year, whenever. 
But to me, if there's any fight that requires a trilogy, it ain't Canelo Triple G. It's Rung Visaya Estrada. Okay, so let's get this fucking thing going. Bring it back to us next year. I mean, if you're a boxing fan and don't want to see this third fight, I, I don't know why you watch the sport. Yeah, just to get paid by somebody to make you say that. That's the only reason. Right. Um, all right, so uh, let's move past the um, – there's a new WBC Super Flyweight champion. Juan Francisco Estrada defeats Sarissa Kat Sorung Vasai. Um, let's get to the co-main, which was a fucking slobber knocker in its own right. Um, Danielle Roman versus TJ Doheny uh, for the WBA and IBF junior featherweight unification fight. What a scrap, man. What a fucking fight. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of the, uh, you know, blood and guts throwback fight. TJ Doheny. Talk about a warrior, man. What I mean, that guy took a beating, and I would say that uh, Roman controlled the action in the fight for the most part. But I think Doheny in spots uh, was the was the most successful in being able to hurt Roman in that seventh round. And, and it looked like damn, he's going to be, you know, this is going to be a rough go for Danny down the stretch. And I, that that guy, I, I'm telling you what, man, you talk about a fighter who has come into his own and is a super talent and in great fights for a boxing fan. If you're a boxing fan, a Danny Roman fight is can't miss, man. The guy brings it every time. I'm all in on this guy, Ken. Yeah, me too, man. Um, shit, run this one back. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, good shit, man. Uh, good fight. Um, you know, just great, you know, great card overall. Jesse Vargas versus Humberto Soto. Um, I just was just absolutely just bamboozled when I saw the purses for these fights, man. And what the, and what these little guys who went out there and, you know, put it all on the line, not to say that Vargas and Soto didn't do it, but the fact that Vargas was getting paid 1.2 million and everybody else was making less than $500,000. I was just like, the first thing that came to my mind was like, yeah, folks, but let's just remember why and how uh, Jesse Vargas got overpaid because you know, Eddie Hearn was just a few weeks away from standing up at his Matchroom Boxing USA announcement press conference and being the only fucking person on stage with him. He had to pay. He had, he had to introduce somebody. Vargas got paid one point two million to knock out your grandfather, Ken. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, that's so, fucked up. That's so disrespectful. Let me say something about Umberto Soto. All right, you're talking about the ultimate. Uh, he's not. He's a level above journeyman, but was never you know a top level fighter. I have as a gatekeeper. I, yeah, I have so much respect for a guy that is in the latter stages of his career, and by, uh, by that I mean he might have a fight or two. I thought he was done two years ago, but for him to come out and just say "fuck it," I'm going. I don't care <laughs> how bad of a pounding I take. I don't care how many years these poundings take off of my life. I'm going for broke. The money's there. I want to get paid on my way out the door. I respect the hell out of the dude. And you know what? Put him on undercards all the time because he will be in entertaining fights, period. Yeah, he's he's definitely, dude, he's got some huevos, man. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he had everybody convinced on Twitter. I mean, dude, you go back and, and, and read around that time when that fight was going on, like around, you know, in the first three rounds, everybody was like, Soto might do this. <laughs> Soto might do this. He goes and, for broke, man. And that's what you got to do, and that's what makes exciting fights. Yes, Vargas did what everybody thought he was going to do, but Humberto Soto didn't lay down. He earned his paycheck, yeah. and he uh, helped Jesse Vargas earn his. <laughs> yeah, Soto could have, 
you know, bored his way to a 12 round decision loss. Instead, he said, nah, I'd like to kind of entertain on my way out the door here. Let's give these people what they want. Come on and hit me in the face, baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, all in all, man, um, a really great card on Friday night on the zone, um, at the forum in Englewood, California. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. It's, it's, it's the first enjoyable, uh, you know, night of fights that, you know, overall, like sit down, get your popcorn ready. You know what I'm saying? And you know, um, you know why some, part of that, you know, these fights were that way because nobody was talking about it coming in. It was kind of flying under the radar. Everybody's talking about all the nonsense in the sport. So you just, it was just like, oh man, after that you watch it and you go, it's one of them nights where you go, this is, this is why I love the sport of boxing because every once in a while, you know, two, three, maybe four times a year, it delivers a card like that. And those, to me, those cards are why I watch the sport. Those cards are why the sport is the most entertaining sport in the world at times, not always, but at times. And, and, you know, as a boxing fan, you got to appreciate it when you get it, man. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because you just don't know when you're going to get it. Uh, all right, let's get to, um, I guess it was, yeah, Saturday night um, on on zone again. It was uh, the World Boxing Super Series. Um, you got the 140-pound uh, matchup, the headlining bout from Lafayette, Louisiana, Regis Progre versus Carol Relic. Vin, um, Regis Progre, you know, he is on a different physical level than a guy like Relic. And I know that Relic is, you know, a, a tricky guy. I mean, that's what he's considered. He's considered um, a tough, tricky guy. But you're going to see when you have somebody that has, you know, this elite sort of fast twitch brutality to their style in Regis Progre, who can really just change. He can change the game in the snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. He's got like, he Regis Progre has similar um, attributes to what we see and what makes us so excited about Teofimo Lopez, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a lot of it's along the same lines. And and, and the guy's a bruiser, man. I mean, I, I've got to be honest. You know, I was at the amateur fights last night in uh, in PG County here. But I'll tell you what's great about the zone. I had my phone sitting on the table, and I had one eye on the ring. And I, ch- you know, in between rounds, I'd check down, look at my phone, see what's going on with this WBSS card. I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pontificate about his performance because I wasn't paying attention that hard and I didn't get a chance to watch it all this morning before we started. But I'll say this. He did what he had to do. So, you, you know, with a guy like Kirill Relic coming into a fight with Progre, you, he needs to he needs to dominate. He needs to get him out of there. And we, you know, we said it in the preview. I don't I didn't think this fight was going to go more than six rounds. And sure shit, he ended it in six. And, th- and that's what you need to do with these type of fighters. You know, besides the fact that, uh, you know, he is a he's a level above relic coming into that fight. Progre is a guy that to me right now, as much as any fighter, top fighter in the world seems to be coming into his own. And uh, he is, you know, I, I used to favor Josh Taylor and I still favor Josh Taylor if these guys meet in the finals of this tournament. But it's a lot closer than I thought it would be six months ago. Yeah, it's it's just what have you done for me lately? People are on the on the pro grade train now saying that oh you know Josh Taylor may not even get past Ivan Baranchuk like blah 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 you know what I'm saying? Yeah, he might not. We don't know who who Regis Progre is going to be fighting, but we we need to continue to keep things into pers- you know perspective. 
everybody needs to understand for as 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 exciting and for all the buzz that's behind Regis Progray and the excellent performances that he's been putting on, he is not so far removed from his tenure on Showbox, okay? So he's working through the higher level now. This is his first time doing it. It's going to be Taylor's first time doing it, right? right? So we don't know what to expect. If that does end up being the final, then we're going to have two guys in there that are going to be squaring off in a championship in the biggest fight that they have ever had in their lives. And that's what makes the prospect of that fight so exciting. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it resets 140. I mean, you got to think about, you know, a year and a half ago or whatever it was, we had an undisputed 140 pound champ in Terrence Crawford and he drops all the belt. And within two years, we're going to establish who was the man in that division. That's what was great about picking the 140 pound division by, by the WBSS is. It was the, a division that had really no direction, kind of a bunch of nondescript guys holding belts, and they were able to pull it together, and they got the two best young fighters in the division, and they're on a crash course, man. I'm telling you right now, like, I, I see a lot of people talking about uh, uh, Baron Chuck gonna, is going to give Josh Taylor trouble. I'm not going to say that he isn't, all right? Baron Chuck's a tough guy. He hits hard. Josh Taylor is a huge 140-pound fighter. He's long. He's slick. He's a southpaw. He is trouble for anybody in that division. And, and for a guy like Baronchuk, who's, you know, kind of a destroyer, slick southpaws are not the right guy for you. That's that's just what I'll say about that. I, I, I cannot wait for that fight, which I believe is in, I don't know, three weeks from now. I, I can't really remember. But once that fight comes to its conclusion and we can start building towards Progray Taylor, my God, boy, that to me, coming into this year, you know, it wasn't on paper yet, but that's what I foresaw, and that's a fight that I am looking forward to more than any for the rest of this year. Yeah, it's the ultimate proving ground. You know what I mean? It really is. Um, and I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, the continuation um, and that upcoming fight between Taylor and uh, and Baronchuk. All right, let's get to the Bantamweights. Um, I, I was really disappointed that uh, Tay-Tay had to pull out. I think he had a bum shoulder. Um yeah. I guess he didn't show up to the media workout and they knew that something was wrong at that point. So in steps, uh, Stefan young and, um, look, I, I, I tried to figure out if he was ranked before he filled in, you know, I looked at the rankings today, which doesn't tell me anything, but he was, you know, ranked fifth in the WBA. Um, you know, doesn't have a lot of fights. Um, you know, and his competition has been, been poor at best. So, as much as I love Nonito Donaire, and I think that you and I talked about this in the fight preview, right? About how we already think that he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, um, and that if he were somehow to pull off this tournament, that they'd induct him into Canastota in the ring, like right after the fight. Um, you know, we've always lauded how he was the first, uh, you know, pure, clean fighter in boxing that came out and promoted 365 days a year and did it like real talk. You know what yeah. I mean? Lived it. Yep. Um, and you know, they're, they're him going all the way up to featherweight and then coming all the way back down to bantamweight. A lot of people were suspect about this because of his age, right? Um, because of the length of his career fighters at, at, at younger, uh, I mean, at the, at the, at the lower weight classes, as they get older, you know, they don't have a lot of longevity. I mean, what Nonito Donaire is doing going down and wait at this age and being a clean fighter, this is fucking bizarre, it's un right? Unheard of, Ken. Uh, completely unheard of. Um, and so, listen, 
that left hook that he drilled Young with, yes, is it a knockout of the year punch? Is it vintage? Vintage. Um, you know, no Nito Denaire finish. Yes, it was beautiful. It brought back the warm fuzzies from all of his explosive rise, that meteoric rise that he had in the sport that everybody remembers so well. But I think everybody's taking all of that a little bit too far when saying that he's back. This, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, dude, I'm, I saw the same way. I keep seeing like everybody he was, it, it, him for, for, from that knockout. He was in the hall of fame. It's like, wait a second. He knocked out Stefan young guys. If that's what put him in the hall of fame for you, uh, why wasn't he in before this? That's because they never watched him fight before this. <laughs> it was a fill-in fight. The guy, look, more power to him. The guy stepped in the ring with Nonito Donaire on last-minute note, on three days' notice. Well, you he, know what I'm he saying? Was on the, he was on the card, so he was already in training, so it wasn't like they they pulled him out of nowhere, so at least he was in training. But they pulled him out of nowhere to put, I mean, right. he, he was on the card, but he's like, oh, I'm fighting for the belt against Nonito Donaire? Yeah, it's a big, big difference. Um, you know, so look, I think that, uh, um, I'm excited and I, I love Donaire's attitude. I mean, he wants in a way, you know what I'm saying? And if we get Donaire in a way in the final, good luck to Nonito Donaire. But if one of those left hands lands on, on Niowa in a way, we will see if the monster, um, it's got a glass chin or not. We'll we'll know if he's King Kong or Godzilla. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And and if that fight happens, folks, uh, that fight is not going to be in America. So you we might be waking up early on a Saturday or Sunday morning watching that some bitch. Oh, I'm down. I'm down. A little uh, uh, you know, cup of coffee and some scrambled eggs and boxing. That's that's one of my favorite ways to consume it. A little tea and strumpets, Ken. Yes, exactly. Trumpets, I love it. Um, but exciting nonetheless, man. What you know? What a display. Um, you know, and uh, it was, uh, you know, the fights that we've covered. These, you know, these five fights. Uh, it was exciting. It was, uh, you know, I'm sorry for all the people that get paid with their fake YouTube channels and you know just the assholes on Twitter that are just there to you know to shit on anything good um, about boxing because those that do that. Um, for a living, apparently, that there's a career. There's actually a, uh, you know, you can go to college for this now, um, you know, and it, and, it, and it pays enough to where, you know, you can afford a mini fridge in your parents' basement. Um, <laughs> you know, these same people who are just who are just pooping and shitting all over all, all this really, really fun action on zone. Boy, did they get a, a, a just a, a barn burner in a fight. And Robert Easter Jr. versus uh, Rancis Bartholomew. And and the funny thing is, I got to call you out on this, Vin. You, you said Robert Easter throws too many punches for Rancid Bartholomew. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> this was, dude, Tom Craze with the tweet of the year so far, right? The tweet of the year. He screenshots the, the punches landed, the show stats punches landed for the fight. And he says, was this boxing or, or a round of golf? And, dude, I'm telling you, this thing, as you look, I'm going to read you the scorecard, okay? I'm just going to read it to you. So on the first hole, Easter birdied and bar <laughs> is, is, a, is, a, is a par three um, water. Uh, the pin was placed in the front. Easter stuck the pin, tapped in his birdie. Uh, uh, Barfelmi went up and down from the sand trap to make par. The par five number two, Easter, coming off of the birdie with a triple bogey eight. 
um, and Bartholomew rebounds with a birdie. Then on the third hole, and this is when you thought things were going to change. Another treacherous par three, Easter pars, and Bartholomew slam dunks a hole in one. one. (laughs) After 12 holes, okay, Easter, after 12 holes, shot a 54. And Rancid Bartholomew shot a 52. So if they'd have, if they'd have finished the round before they got rained out, uh, Easter was on pace to shoot a 81 and Bartholomew a 78. God damn, that's the uh, lower scores that I've ever shot in my life. <laughs> I, I mean, this this card literally reads like you and I playing golf. I, when I saw it, the first thing I thought was, it looks like this was like a five-year-old uh, birthday party that they went to the Duckpin Bowling Alley, and this was the fucking scores. I'm like, what is this, man? I mean, I, first of all, I mean, anybody who expected anything different from Rancis Bartholomew is ridiculous. I mean, the guy, is, he's been putting people to sleep since 2015, Ken. All right? I, the, the guy is just a joke. And, I, you know, you hate to call a fighter that, but Jesus Christ, man. What are you doing? What is your actual plan? Why, who in the fuck in that corner is not like, I'd be slapping my fighter in the face when he comes back to the corner. So wake the fuck up, man. Wake up. Let your fucking hands go. It's, you know, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I didn't watch that. Cause if I stayed home and watched that last night and didn't go watch these amateur fights, I'd have been in a shitty mood this morning <laughs> because I'd have been <laughs> like, God, I can't believe I wasted my fucking time. But instead, I went and hit like the reset button on my appreciation for the sport of boxing last night, which I'm glad I fucking did. Yeah. So how were the fights last night down at the uh, Rosecroft Raceway? Uh, I'll tell you that anybody who hasn't been to an amateur uh, card before, and I, and I would suggest if you if it's in your area, trying to trying to wait till the season when they when the Golden Gloves tournaments come around, you get good crowds. I mean, you get three, four, maybe five hundred people in there. Um, they're all local people. They're all local fighters. Now, last night it was, uh, Maryland and DC versus, I'm sorry, Maryland, DC and Delaware versus Virginia and North Carolina champions. You get some good scraps, man. And and they're quick. They went through 17 fights in four hours with a 30 minute, uh, recess. So it's just, you know, the one fight ends, the other two guys are literally walking up the stairs into the ring as they're raising the winner's hands. It's just nonstop. The kids work hard. They, they, they're, there's constant action going on for the most part. You know, the novice division fights, they can get a little monotonous and a little sloppy. But once you get to the open division, the, the skill level picks up. And, you know, I saw one kid that I'm going to be tracking now. That's another thing that I loved about going to amateur fights back in the day and I forgot about. You get to try and find that one kid that you go, ah, damn, that kid is smooth, boy. He looks good. So th- this kid, uh, Shaquille. Uh, daily, 124 pound fighter from Maryland. I, I two weeks is the uh, finals in in uh, Tennessee, Tennessee. I will be tracking this kid's performance and and tracking what he does in his career from this point forward. That's why I liked and what I missed about going to amateur fights. Nice, nice, yeah, man. Um, you know, hey, either support you know support the fight, uh, you know, the game, or you don't. Um. Were there any uh, pros there, any local pros there supporting? No? I didn't notice any. I wasn't up walking around mingling too much, but I was looked around the room. I saw a bunch of old, old local retired fighters that were pros, but not really big name pros. Um, there was Boone, Boone Peltz there, or Poltz there, who was a cruiserweight champ, a WBO cruiserweight champ in the late 80s, early 90s. He was sitting right in front of us. 
but that was like at the at the dawn of the cruiserweight division. But I, yeah, I, I was a little disappointed that there wasn't any. Now there's a lot of local uh, champs <laughs> that that you know you would think would make an appearance to help draw people there and and get interest into it. But you know it is what it is. I, I wasn't there for that. I was there to watch these kids throw down. Nice. All right, man. Well, uh, let's keep it trucking here then. Um, so Easter and Bartholomew, hopefully they'll be able to uh, continue their round of golf um, today with better weather. And um, let's go ahead. Uh, uh, actually, before we move to the fight preview, did you watch the heavyweight fight on ESPN Plus, Dubois versus Richard Larte? No, but I saw some highlights of it this morning. It looked like uh, they were going at it. They were throwing some wild shots there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, I guess it's to be expected. I, a lot of people are are you know on high you know high on Dubois. I don't know if it's just because they like him as a person because you know apparently um, he's a pretty easy guy to like. Um, but yeah, it was a bunch of sort of that level of you know <laughs> heavyweight fight that you get from London. Um, to be completely honest with you, how dare you, Ken? Well, you know, I mean, AJ, AJ's still out there looking for an opponent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, what is AJ doing? Does he have an opponent yet? It looks like it might be that sloppy Mexican can. Oh, old jiggle tits. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, uh, we can talk about that later. Uh, the fight preview Cinco de Mayo weekend on the zone from Las Vegas, Nevada for all of Gennady Golovkin's belts. It's Canelo Alvarez versus Danny Jacobs. Um, a pretty anticipated fight here. Um, you know, I, I don't want to really go into like, you know, we'll let the Lee Wileys of the world break down like the technical aspect of this fight because I don't think it really fucking matters to be honest with you. I, I, I don't want to be like, you know, super negative about this, but I, my overall feeling about Canelo Alvarez is this. He is a pampered A-side who gets every benefit of the doubt, and he's a drug cheat, okay? He's a cheater. He's been busted. He's been suspended. Um, and I'm tired of, if there's one thing, like we all have frustrations within the sport. If there's one thing that frustrates me the most about the sport is that there is, you know, it's just that, the guys that move the needle and the guys that bring in the bucks that the people on the peripheral can benefit the most from, these are the guys that get propped up. And Canelo has become today's version of Floyd Mayweather in that regard. Now, you know, as far as the fight goes, Danny Jacobs is down four rounds to zero right now. So he's, he needs a knockout to win. That's my prediction. And that's, I don't mean to be a dick about it, but that's the 100% honest truth about this fight. Danny Jacobs, you're down for nothing. And I'm, I'm in your corner telling you, you need to knock this motherfucker out or you're done. I'm going to come. So I'm going to come with the exact opposite of what you're saying. Not, not that I don't uh, agree with some of the, some of the aspects of what you say about what, who Canelo is and what his standing is within the sport. But I will say this, like, this is a, this is a tough fight to call on paper. However you want to break it down. Technically, you know, I, I'm not going to get too much into that. We know what these guys are as fighters, okay? But what I what I am going to do going into this fight is I, I'm gonna I don't want the 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 cloud of corruption that fucking hangs over the sport of boxing to give me the perception that you got that you're going into the fight with and some other guys are going into the fight with because I want to enjoy the fight. 
So I want to sit down. I want to watch it. And in the back of my mind, trust me, I know more than anybody, and I'll be at the front of the fucking line with my pitchfork screaming and yelling corruption when, if and when it does happen, okay? But if I go into it with these preconceived notions, it's hard for me to sit down and enjoy the fucking fight because this is the most high-profile fight that we have this year to this point. You know, is it going to be the best fight? Probably not. It's probably going to be a boxing match. It's probably going to be very technical. You know, Danny Jacobs will 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 try to stay on the outside, try to use his length and his size to his advantage. But to me, you know, I, I like you said, he's down four rounds going into this fight. To me, I would say to you and to everybody who says that, I mean, what's the point of watching the fight then? You know, because if that's what you're going in with, then Jacobs has got to win fucking nine rounds on the cards. And that's tough for anybody to do against a top-notch fighter like Canelo. And everybody's going to take those preconceived notions into their scorecards, which I'm going to tell you right now, everybody's going to be breaking out their scorecard after this fight. Wipe your ass with that shit. I don't care about it, okay? It means nothing to me. But don't take that into your scorecard and give advantages to to Danny Jacobs when you think he may have won a round that was very close and you're going to give it to Danny because of these preconceived notions that come into it. So you can say after the fight, you know, this group of people can say, I told you so. This is boxing. This is what happens. But trust and believe. And after saying all of that, if that does happen and corruption is a part of what, you know, the outcome of this fight, I will be at the front of the line with my torch and my pitchfork. And I will go to fucking, I will go to town on the sport of boxing and everybody involved. But I am not going to let that ruin my fucking viewing experience going in because as, as many times as boxing gets it fucking way wrong. Okay. The, the, the Canelo uh, first Canelo triple G fight is the glaring example in that for me. They get it right sometimes too. Not, and it, 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 I'd equate it to like, if you're a poker player, you never remember the hand you won. You always remember the bad beat, right? So, you know, it, it is what it is. Yes. You are a hundred percent right in, in thinking and saying what you're saying. I won't, I will not argue that, but I want to enjoy this motherfucker. So don't shit on my parade, Ken. All right. Let me ask you this. Would you be as excited for the Battle of Winterfell tonight on Game of Thrones if you knew who everybody that died already was? Uh, no, I wouldn't. But that, like I said, you know. But you know, but but you know, motherfuckers are gonna die. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's gonna be, right? there's gonna be mad bloodshed tonight, son. Well, let me tell you why I can still enjoy this fight, even though that's how I feel about it. All right, because yes, in boxing, anything can happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. Um, we've seen it so many times where the unexpected happens. So, yes, in my opinion, is Danny Jacobs down four rounds right now on the scorecard? Yeah. But this is also a fight where these two are at a, a level which we get to see at what what the next level is, where these guys match up and the measuring stick is between the two of them. Can Danny Jacobs dent Canelo's? Armor. Canelo's been in a lot of fucking fights, people. A lot. Okay. Two tough ones. You know, in the last uh, eighteen months. Exactly. So let's not pretend that he's your average guy in his in his late twenties. All right, because he's not. He's more like a thirty-two or thirty-three-year-old fighter. All right. He has taken. Yeah, he's got an iron chin, but eventually the iron chin will show 
dings and dents in it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in seeing what how Canelo reacts when Danny Jacobs cracks him. Now, the way that I think the fight is going to go is I think that Canelo is going to just destroy Danny Jacobs to his body. And that's that's what I think is going to be the difference in this fight. I think he's going to rip him to the body. I think Danny Jacobs is going to try to skate. I think he's going to try to stay away from him. And then he's going to scream robbery at the end of the fight because, you know, he did what Lamont Peterson did in the first six rounds against Danny Garcia. Well, yeah, Jake, I think that team Jacobs is already setting up that narrative for after the fight. Right. And, and, and that's fine. And that's, that would just continue the story and the narrative. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to cry corruption one way or the other. I'm realistic about what this is going into it. It doesn't take any excitement for me to, I'm not like, Oh, I'm, I'm protesting. I'm not watching the fight. No, I paid a hundred dollars for the whole fucking year. I'm getting my money's worth. There's a group of weirdos out there that, that, that take it to that level though. No, oh, that's, that's retarded. Okay. It's not personal. You know, there's nothing personal about it. I like watching Canelo Alvarez fight. I just hate the fact that he's a spoiled, pampered fucking, you know, drug cheat. It just drives me crazy. But that's the thing. Those are some of the things that keep drawing you towards closer and closer to boxing. People think that you and I just sit and bitch and complain on this podcast for an hour every week, right? But the the bottom line is, is that this is the sport. You're not going to listen to a podcast where people are, are going to reveal their opinions about it in such an honest way. This is the way we see it. And, 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 and I'm sorry, folks, I hate to break it to you. Vin and I just had a fucking constructive disagreement. Holy fucking shit. Vin, we're not friends anymore. <laughs> I, I don't want to speak to you anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. These are the kind of conversations that people have to have because there's different sides. There's different perspectives to what's going on. But I think at the end of the day where we do agree is you got two of the top three middleweights in the world about to square off on a massive stage and anything can happen in Vegas, baby. Anything. Oh, absolutely. And look, you know, I, I agree with everything you say about Canelo being the, the pampered a side, the, the guy that is the, the, he, he is the driving force behind the business of boxing right now. And, you know, everybody can view him that way, but the difference is, between like, uh, you know, Canelo being that guy now and like a guy like Floyd Mayweather was w- when he was uh, the man in the sport is when Canelo gets in the ring, he doesn't fight like a pampered A-side fighter, which to me is is the difference is I, I, the guy entertains the hell out of me. His style and the way he's developed and the way we've watched him grow as a fighter. Every time he gets in the ring, he seemingly gets better. And he, he seemingly adds another aspect to his game. And it becomes just, uh, this guy is a is, is the highest level chess player in, in, in the ring now. And, and I'm 100% with you. I think Canelo attacks to the body big time in this fight. I think he, I think he gets on the front foot like he did in, on, on this, in the second fight with Triple G. I think he tries to bring the fight to Danny Jacobs. He can't stay on the outside and box with the guy because he won't be able to get there. He won't be able to reach. So, so this, you know, as Canelo is, has come up in weight, he's going to have to, his style has to adapt and it has to turn into that front foot style because you saw it in the first Canelo fight. He got the gift of a lifetime there. And he realized when they went by, back and watched the tape and the Reynosos and Canelo were honest with themselves about what happened in that fight, they said, oh, no, 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 no. 
we can't be doing that shit no more. That ain't going to fucking work. We're going to get on the front foot. We're going to bring the attack to these guys. I think that's what happens here. I think Canelo, I think it's a, a very close fight. And I think Danny Jacobs, you know, I don't want to underestimate this guy in any sense of the word because he was one, two rounds away from pulling off a major upset uh, against Triple G or at least getting a draw. So this guy is is in, by no means in over his head. He's been he's been on this stage before. He knows what's coming. I, I and and as far as Danny goes in his career, I've just as his career's gone on, I've gained more and more respect for the guy and what he is. I don't you know, not the cancer story and all that stuff. I'm just strictly speaking of the person he is and the type of fighter he is. I really there's not too many guys like that in the sport. There's not too many guys that seek out, you know, these massive fights and don't care if they lose. They're there first and foremost to get paid because they are prize fighters, but he brings it. And, he, and, and, you know, this is, this is why we watch the sport people. This is why, you know, these fights right here is what makes boxing the most, uh, on a single night, the most exciting, can be the most exciting sport in the world for, you know, the, the 48 minute stretch or the, yeah, the 48 minute stretch or however many minutes I, I might be messing that up a little bit, but as long as a fight is with 12 rounds and the fucking breaks. Right. So it, just, I, I, this is what I would say to all boxing fans is uh, just set aside the, set aside the corruption, the, you know, all that nonsense that comes with the sport that we all know about sit down and enjoy the fight for what it is for 12 rounds. And then we can go back to the conversation that is the most corrupt sport in the world. Because trust me, I, I am a hundred percent in on that conversation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it looks like old Bob Bennett said, "Adelaide Bird, you're sitting this one out." Okay, <laughs> we can't put on a shroud of corruption in the sport, Adelaide Bird. Okay. You sit in the ringside. We'll call on you, Adelaide Bird, if we need you. <laughs> I was hoping we'd get a Bob Bennett impression this show. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Um, all right. So, Virgil Ortiz um, in action. Uh, we get some Mauricio Herrera and uh, Jojo Diaz back in action against Freddie Fonseca. But this is all about the main event. Yeah, the, no doubt the undercard is, uh, you know, that's kibbles and bits. The, the, this is all about the main course, baby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, let's get to some news and notes, and then let's get out of here. Um, I think the biggest story of the week uh, was was easily Gennady Golovkin parting ways with his longtime trainer, um, Abel Sanchez. Then I'm going to let you uh, um, take the ball and run with it on this one first. Um, what are your thoughts about the breakup? Um, what do you think about Abel Sanchez and the way that he handled the breakup and where does Gennady Golovkin look to for a new trainer? I, I would say this, that first and foremost, okay, th in the sport of boxing, uh, th this shit happens all the time. For a fighter to go through his entire career with one trainer is very, very rare. And especially after a loss is even, I mean, these guys, look, it's just sometimes you need a change, right? A and I don't blame Triple G in this scenario uh, one bit, okay? He gets a $100 million contract, and somehow Abel Sanchez, you know, I, I get it. He's been with the guy. Uh, he's not the guy that molded Triple G as a fighter. He's the trainer that uh, Triple G was handed to by Tom Loeffler 
to, you know, help this guy and navigate this guy's career uh, as they built him up to be a superstar. But in, 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 there's a certain point, okay, when you get to the level of a fighter like Triple G or the, the, the top five, you know, uh, financial fighters in the sport, a trainer normally gets 10%, right? 10% of the purse. $10 million is entirely too much for a trainer to make over three years of training a fighter. To me, that is absolutely absurd. You're robbing the guy who actually takes the beatings. And I, I know he said he was offered one-fifth of that, which would be $2 million. For a trainer to make $2 million off of a fighter in a three-year period, you hit the jackpot, bud. You know, I, I, I don't want to hear your jilted lover, uh, you know, I get it. It was father sonish type relationship. It was hard for him to take. He probably should have like stepped back for a few days, taken a few deep breaths before he went to the media and made these comments, you know, because a, a lot of the things, a lot of the reasons why you, you have, I think you have more able Sanchez haters than you had triple G haters. You had triple G haters that didn't like Abel Sanchez. So in turn, they didn't like triple G to me. Triple G did what he had to do, okay? He made an offer to the guy. The guy didn't want it. Fine. Moving on. I would also say this, that Triple G's 37 years old. He don't need to be training at the top of Big Bear Mountain for, for, for eight weeks anymore. It, it's been proven that as you age as a fighter, you do not need to be in these entire training camps in high altitude. Most people that do it, do it for two or three weeks. Then they come back down, okay? They come back down to sea level or close to it and finish their camp. You're talking about a guy that's, uh, he's, he's, his muscles are aging, okay? He doesn't need to be, they don't need to be put under that much stress all the time. I have absolutely zero, zero problem with what Triple G did. I don't think it's greedy. I don't think it's anything. If anything, I would say it was more greedy on Abel Sanchez's behalf to think that he, was worth $10 million over the next three years. I'm sorry. There's too many fucking people that reach into these fighters' pockets. You know, you see these guys making, you know, one point, like take Jesse Vargas, for instance, sorry, 1.2 million. You take taxes out of that. Then you take another 30% for all the people that have his hands, have their hands in his pocket. It gets to be, I mean, it's like, Jesus Christ, these guys are chop what you see down 60% and that's what they're bringing home. So I have no problem with the fighter making the decision and saying, Hey, not only do maybe do I need a change in strategy and a change in camp, but I'm not going to give you that much damn money, man. I'm taking the fucking beating, not you. Well, here's the thing too, Vin, on top of that. I mean, how many years was Abel Sanchez with Gennady Golovkin? How many, I mean, how much time, did Golovkin have to take fucking less money to be able to just get even the Daniel Gills of the world to step in the fucking ring? You know what I'm saying? Dodge like, all, the, all the, uh, the good fighters back then, Ken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, look, I feel the same way. I, I, I personally have been kind of tired of Abel Sanchez and his mouth. You know, like, he's just one of these guys that just gets on your nerves after a while, right? And I just think that 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 he's butthurt because he put all of his eggs in one basket and didn't build out a stable of guys that could carry him forward if he wanted to. He trains other guys, 
but he doesn't, he's, he's not like Freddie Roach. Freddie Roach made millions training Manny Pacquiao, right? He became the most famous trainer in the world because he was Manny Pacquiao's trainer. He became a millionaire because he was Manny Pacquiao's trainer. But guess what Freddie Roach did? Freddie Roach capitalized off of it, and he brought more great fighters to him, and he flooded his gym with big names, guys on the rise. There was there was a, a point where people were like, Freddie, how many fucking guys are you training? Like, are you, like, leaving, like, like in between rounds to go train another guy at another location? Like, how are you doing this? You know what I mean? Right. But Freddie Roach capitalized off of it and became his own business. For people crying poor for, for Abel Sanchez, this guy was a very successful, very successful contractor, you know, worked in the construction business and made a lot of money. Okay. So he ain't in the poorhouse anymore. All right. Stevie Williams, the cat longtime caddy of of Tiger Woods, right? Got twenty, thirty million dollars in the bank because of Tiger Woods, not because he carried the fucking golf bag. You think Tiger Woods needed somebody telling him which way the ball was breaking? <laughs> you know why You know why Tiger Woods got, got rid of Fluff McGowan? Because Fluff McGowan started to become a celebrity, and Tiger Woods was the reason for that, right? Yep. And, it was t- and it was time to make a change. Things happen, man. You're an employee. You got fired. You didn't even get fired. You got made an offer that you turned down. All right. There's not a lot of trainers out there making that kind of money. And for all the trainers that got upset and said that Triple G did them wrong or, you know, whatever, I, I would, I would implore, I would ask all of those trainers, would you turn down $2 million to train a fighter over the next three years? Nope. They might be a little upset about it, but I guarantee you ain't walking away from 2 million. That's, that's hitting the lottery as a trainer. I mean, I, that's, I'm not fucking like, I, I would like to see how long it took on Triple G's rise for Abel Sanchez to make $2 million. Because if he made it over, if he made $2 million over the first five years of his uh, American uh, boxing debut from, from start to finish, I'd be surprised. I would. How much did he make from the Lemieux fight forward, though? That's what I want to know. Right. Because I guarantee you he made 4 or $5 million at least. So, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, nobody feels sorry for Abel Sanchez. Just move on, you know. And you know, is 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 Gassiev still training with him? I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe Gassiev needs to move on too because there's no adjustments coming from the corner. This just go knock him out. Yeah. Like that. Like that doesn't work anymore. And you know what Triple G needs at this point in time? He needs somebody to to give him s- some fucking worthy advice, like some something meaningful other than putting on a notorious training camp we don't need any triple g like you said it's not just a high altitude training we don't need any more jogging vignettes through the wealthy neighborhoods of big bear lake you know what i'm saying like and here's the bottom line and i said it in a tweet all right you're an employee you got fired get over it right fucking triple g is pissed off he wants fucking blood and he needs a truckload of cash to wipe it up that that's where he's at 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 this point in his career. He's at this one hundred million dollars. He's going to get as much of it as he can, while he can, because Triple G's time is short in the game of boxing. As okay? as he should. Uh, anybody who thinks otherwise, I cannot get in line with that. I just can't. And it doesn't look. I'm not diminishing, but this has nothing to do with boxing trainers in general. It has to do with this is just this and. It's it's business. How about somebody that tells them to start going back down to the body, Ken? Can we have can can somebody can we get a trainer that's that's going to do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, 
you know, we can spin this on, in, you know, in any direction. You know, the bottom line is, is that, you know, Gennady Golovkin is the business and that business has parted way with its employee. Right. The project manager so, has now been uh, let go. We'll find yes. another one. Exactly. So stop fucking crying about it. Um, all right. So who do you want to see? Uh, not who you think he will go with. Who would you like to see in the co- in the corner of Gennady Golovkin? Because obviously I think the logical thing you and I can both agree on is that he should have camp in Los Angeles. But who should he train with? Uh, I, to me, in my opinion, it, sh- it should be either Robert Garcia or Joe Goosen. Those would be the two best guys for him to finish out his career with. I think we'll probably see him with his brother in the corner for this first fight rather than, you know, try to jump into a, you know, a, a new gym with a new trainer, create a relationship. And you know, that that's a little, it's a little short notice for all that. So you'll probably see his brother in the corner this time and, and we'll see where he decides to go after this. But yeah, I, I to me, it would be Robert Garcia, one Joe Goosen two. Yeah. I, I, I you look, I'd be perfectly fine if it was just his brother moving forward. Yeah, and it, you and know? it may be, honestly, it may be. Yeah. I mean, this could be a, you know, a boo boy thing. Although I think Freddie Roach is back, but he's just carrying the spit bottle now. Right. <laughs> With Manny. Freddie has limitations uh, these days. So he, he does. He does. Um, all right. So, uh, Gennady Golovkin and Abel Sanchez, um, have filed for divorce. All right. Let's get to, um, Mikey Garcia. Uh, Mikey Garcia vacates the WBC lightweight title. Shocking. Um, and I hereby dub the Mikey Garcia from henceforth moving forward, Ducky Garcia. <laughs> you may rise, Sir Ducky. Quack, quack. <laughs> uh, look, dude, I, that's what it seems like, you know, but it's predictable. This was so predictable. It, it was written when he signed the fight with Spence. He was not coming back down to 135. We've mentioned it before. Mikey Garcia's career is what it is, man. He took the risk for a paycheck because he didn't want to take the risk at a weight class where if he lost, it would hurt his legacy even more than he thought it would. But after the performance he laid against Errol Spence, I think he did just as much damage to himself as would have happened if he lost eight, nine rounds to Lomachenko or however that fight would have played out. I mean, that, that's just that's as far as I'll go with this conversation. Mikey Garcia is who he is. He's a businessman first, period. He's, I think he's a dummy. You know, I mean, look. He's a, and, he makes an attempt at being a businessman first, I should say. Well, no, no. I mean, look, as far as, you know, his bottom line at the end of the day, he's living he's living nice. Sized. <laughs> Sized. Yeah. So whatever, right? I'm not, I don't really care about his fucking pocketbook. I'm not obsessed with athletes' money. This is, I, it ain't paying my bills. You know what I'm saying? Um, and neither is this fucking podcast. So, you know, I don't, I could, I could give a rat's ass about how much money Mikey Garcia makes. He says he's looking for more big fights at 147 pounds. Okay, buddy, just keep on going out there and just literally, you just, you're just selling your body at that point. Cause I don't know many 147 pounders you can beat. I think a guy like Sean Porter runs him over like a Mack truck. You know what I'm saying? I, I think Keith Thurman boxes circles around Mikey Garcia. I think the only guy at the top of the 147-pound weight class, I would say in the top five or six, that, that Mikey Garcia can compete with would be Danny Garcia. Just, That's it. I was just going to say, if you're going to stick around at 147, let's get Garcia v. Garcia. Okay, let's do that. That will be yeah. perfect measuring stick 
to see where you are and where you stand at 147. And and good luck to you, man. Awesome. Cool. Go go fight at 147 pounds where you clearly, clearly do not belong. No. Hey, but you know who else is smart business people? The WBC. Because Mikey Garcia didn't do a gosh damn thing at 135 pounds to be awarded the title of champion emeritus. Like he's been their champion for years and he's earned that title. So if he ever decides to come back down because he's put so much time and energy into the 135 pound weight class, Vin, what a joke. He, he, he deserves the first crack at it. Guy spent fucking five seconds at 135 pounds. No, you're making him champion emeritus because you want to cut you want that sanctioning fee should he decide to come back to 135 pounds. Uh, yeah, just never ceases to amaze me. Just in case you want to come back down at the end of your career on your way out the door and get that big money fight with Lomachenko, we'll be here, buddy. We got your back. This is this is some Mexico on Mexico love here, brother. You know, it's yeah. exactly what it is. The, the he'll have a look, he'll, He'll have a, a Domino's hot and ready fucking box for his slice of pizza. That, That's what he's going to be doing. I, I don't want it unless it comes with crazy bread, Ken. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt you. I just uh, <laughs> you're fine. <laughs> oh man, this guy and just the, the the just swerving of his career. It just it's it's crazy to me. It is. It, it it really he can't, he does not care about his reputation at all. That has been made very clear. I went from one thirty five to one forty to one forty seven. Back to seemingly 140, I guess, or he's staying at 147. And somehow, some way, the WBC finds a way to, to just say, look, man, you get a pass. We're going we're gonna to give you this fucking stupid belt we have called the Emeritus. I don't even know what the hell it means. I don't care what it means. But it, it's just a joke. The, the WBC's bias towards Mexican fighters is, I mean, come on. They're no different than the WBA the WBO, the IBF, all of them. It's, they pick and choose who they want. It's ridiculous, man. Um, well, let's keep it with the, uh, you know, Mikey Garcia has something to do with our next topic um, as we get into the, um, you know, the future potential of Terrence Crawford and Errol Spence in the 147-pound super fight of uh, two of the best fighters in the world and the two very best at the welterweight weight class um, potentially squaring off in the future. Bob Arum has reached out to Al Heyman um, in attempts to start negotiations for Crawford versus Spence. And he's not saying anything about it other than that he's reached out to him, which I think is a good sign. You know what I mean? Keep it behind closed doors. People will pontificate on what they think each fighter deserves. But I tell you what, man, Errol Spence is being fed fucking. He is he he's almost as bad as Donald Trump reading the teleprompter. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like the shit that Errol Spence is being fed. He's like a he's like a marionette puppet being controlled by Floyd Mayweather with his fucking comments. Man. Yeah, I mean, to just to come out, it's it's typical, all right. And I've I've been saying it. I don't know on how many shows I've said it on this year, and I'll say it again. This year has been nothing more, and what annoys me more about anything in this year's uh, this year in boxing is this positioning of fighters for negotiations, and that's exactly what this fight with Garcia was. It's exactly what Crawford Khan was. They're, 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 they're just trying to, we got to come to the negotiating table with a strong hand. You know, we can't come there with seven deuce. We got to come with ace king suited. And it's annoying. The conversation that surrounds it is annoying. The one thing, like you just said, I'm glad that Bob didn't say anything. I don't want to hear about it, man. 
Let me know when the fucking fight is made. I don't want to hear guys saying this ain't 50, 50. I did 350 K buys. He ain't even do 200,000 buys. How's that make this fight 50, 50, blah, 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 blah. All that is just minutia and it is beyond annoying. And if you are a fight fan that engages in those conversations to establish which guy you think deserves this or that or whatever it is, you're, you're, a, you're just the dregs of society. You're, you're annoying. It, it, it's, these are the conversations that turn me off on the sport of boxing is when this shit gets discussed about a fight. I don't care. Tell me when the fight is fucking made. When the fight is ready to be announced, announce it. We know it ain't coming this year. You know, Spence has already, he already said, was it last night or the, or the day before? I'm going to, I'm going to fight uh, Porter. I'm going to win that belt. Then I'm going to fight the winner of Pacquiao Thurman. Well, no shit. Anybody who has half a brain knew that that w- what was going to happen. Okay. They're going to make Crawford wait and they're going to position themselves to be the A side. I would say this, if you're top rank and you are Terrence Crawford and you have the utmost confidence in your fighter. And I, I think Crawford will win that fight. If that's where you stand. Okay. Then just take it. Take the whatever, take the percentage, take the 40%, whatever the fucking shit is, take it, win the fight because neither one of these guys coming into this fight are superstars. They're, they're, they're promoters and the fighters themselves put themselves on a pedestal that they have not earned. And this, I'm sorry that you aren't Manny Pacquiao. You aren't Floyd Mayweather. And this isn't that fight. What's going to happen with this fight is the winner of Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford will become the undisputed superstar in this country in the sport of boxing. So make it happen. You know, if you're confident in your fighter and and your fighter has that much confidence, then do it. Just get it done because the outcome will prove to you will prove to you and everybody who is the fucking A-side fighter in the sport that is everybody so used to, or everybody so fucking you know quick to to want to crown themselves as. Make the fucking fight, please. I'm just I, the, the whole thing that confuses me, Ben. Since when is three hundred and fifty thousand pay per views a lot? It's not. Four years ago, that would have been fucking laughed at as a complete disaster. Yeah, guys are I'm, making three times the amount that those guys were making in in those smaller pay per views back then. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. You know, like this is where we're at today with social media and this is how these guys are going to try to, you know, gain their leverage in the, you know, amongst their, their fan bases and the sports more isolated and segregated and, and the divisions in the, in the sport and everybody's got to pick sides and this, that, and the other and blah, 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 blah. Um, that's great. You did 350,000 pay-per-view buys. Wow. You know, that's why it's not a 50, 50 fight. Why isn't your unification fight with Sean Porter a pay-per-view then if that's your logic? Oh, wait a second. A uni- because, a uni- wait a second, because your opponent's not a Mexican. That's why. Right. Nope. Because we know who buys. If anybody that knows anything about this sport knows exactly who drives the pay-per-view market, and it's the Mexican-Americans. It's the Mexicans. That's who drives it, okay? It's not... It's not the, you know, it's not the white guys. It's not the black guys. It's not the, you know, the, the Pakistani guys or fans of Amir Khan. They knew to be able to sell even 
you know, a dismal 350,000 pay-per-views, they needed a Mexican name, period. Yeah, and the funny, you know, the funniest thing about that fight, and I don't want to get too long-winded in this conversation, was when Spence Garcia was announced, it was panned, universally panned across the board as a complete fucking joke. And for some reason, you know, the promotion uh, changed people's minds. I'll never, ever, 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 ever understand somebody saying that a promotion changed your mind. I, I don't, I don't even know what that means. You're an educated boxing fan. You knew what this was when it started. And somehow these same people that, that say, you know, on paper, uh, Crawford, Crawford Khan was a fucking joke. Look at the odds. And they point to the odds of Spence Garcia as that says something that means nothing to me. Absolutely fucking zero. Because when Spence Garcia was announced, everybody fucking belly laughed at that shit. And it probably was a six, seven to one opening, uh, opening odds for Spence. So don't give me that shit, man. It it's like, you're, you're trying to sell me one turd that wasn't quite as dry as the other turd. They're all turds. This does not justify and uh, uh, one shitty pay-per-view does not justify another shitty pay-per-view. A turd is a turd, people. They're all the same. They all stink. Don't try to justify Spence Garcia because Crawford Khan was what it was. It's, it's just annoying as fuck, man. <laughs> well, hey, you just gave me the perfect segue, Ben. So will you be buying Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao? Will I be buying? <laughs> Motherfucker, I'm flying to Las Vegas. <laughs> you going to go? Absolutely. Dude, I've been sitting on this free flight for I got four free plane tickets I got uh, a hotel room so I, I got freight and room for four I don't know if you're going to be able to go I don't know who wants to go I've sat on this forever I thought about using it for uh, Canelo Jacobs and I tried to actually but you have to book 45 days in advance and I didn't do that I will be booking to go to Vegas for my first fight to see Thurman Pacquiao and I know some people say that's the fucking fight you chose to go to Vegas for? Yeah, because you know why? For one, uh, yeah, I'm a Keith Thurman fan. I'm a realistic one. I talk shit, but I'm a realistic one. To me, this is a this is going to be a fun ass fight, and it's going to be entertaining from opening bell to the to the final bell. That's why I'm going, and I'm looking forward to the fight for that reason alone. Oh, I dude, I love this fight. I don't care. <laughs> it's Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean this is uh, to me, this is. You couldn't uh, you couldn't have picked a better matchup for Manny Pacquiao in this fight. I'm sorry, you can't. Well, um, then I am going to put in vacation for the weekend of July 20th. Then, Vin. Dude, all you need is all you need is a little little spending money, and we're good to go. Count me in. Yes, sir. That's what I like count to hear, buddy. In. That's what I like to hear. I'm gonna have to bring my two kids, but count us in. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, on second thought, never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll, I'll leave it. Um, all right. Well, that will do it for the show, man. Um, we got uh, next week on episode 231, we'll be previewing um, the PBC fight that we're going to uh, in Northern Virginia as Jared Hurd squares off against Julian J. Rock Williams. I'm really looking forward to going to that. Uh, that's going to be a good one. Uh, no matter, I'll say this, even if Canelo Jacobs kind of ruins boxing and, and the corruption thing rears its fucking ugly head again, uh, this fight coming next weekend 
or the following weekend, uh, that's going to be a fucking war, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we appreciate all of you tuning in to the Canelo Alvarez versus Danny Jacobs fight preview and the post-fight of Sarissa Ketsor Rungvisai versus Juan Francisco Estrada here on the 230th episode of the Tale of the Tape Boxing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spreaker, and on Spotify, and drop by the Boxing Rant YouTube channel today. Follow us on Twitter at Vince Cummings 81 and at Kenny Keith Jr. Until next week for episode 231, you've been listening to the Tale of the Tape Boxing podcast here on The Boxing Rant. Muchas gracias, everybody.